Well, here in a moment, we're going to read a text in Genesis chapter 6, so if you'd like to turn there, we'll read a few verses here in a moment. And I know many of you are familiar, you know exactly where we're going with this. And there's a little sound there. I think they got it, okay. I was was hearing myself really loud there, but we got it, very good. And the title of the message is, but, but Noah found grace. And you read that text, you'll see, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I, I want to look at that. I want to, this morning, you know, if, if we're saved, we're born again. We have received the greatest thing that we could ever get from God, and that is His grace. And, and grace is a subject that definitely warrants looking into it. And I definitely am not skilled or have the, really the, the gift to articulate all the wonderful truths about this. But I can't say and express for myself just what I know and how God's grace has been for me in my life. And we will look at Noah and there's, there's a truth in scripture regarding the law of first mention. And I know many that have studied the Bible, have been in seminary or institute. It's something that you'll hear about, right? When you're studying the Word of God, the law of first mention. And it is interesting that the word use of grace in Scripture is first used regarding Noah. In a time on earth where we are told that when Christ returns, it's not going to be unlike it was then. And as we see things today, we think, yeah, we're close. I don't know how much further, how far worse it could get. But I'm glad I found grace. And I'm glad that the Lord Jesus Christ desired to extend grace. And in a thought on this, in, in a, uh, as far as understanding it, it says appropriately, the free, unmerited love and favor of God. As we as we look at this and as we understand grace. I know my daughter her her middle name we we use the word grace and it gets used a lot. Maybe it uh, back when I was younger we would eat at the table and say let's say grace. How many of you still use that term when you say let's let's say grace. There's a few hands that were raised and it is a term that not as much used today but we we did use it at a time, but it is in this aspect, the unmerited love and favor of God, the spring, look at this, the, the spring and source of all the benefits men receive from Him. I, I would say there's a lot to understand and know about real grace. And I would say there's a lot that we should consider in this term and even how we use this. And so, This morning, we're going to dive into this a little bit. And if you would, let's go ahead and read the text. We'll open in a word of prayer and we'll get into some things. So if you wouldn't mind standing just for the reading of the word for a few more minutes. And we're just going to read verses 5 through 8, and then we'll pray here and begin our message. In verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. To really understand grace, it's good to understand what God sees. It really is. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, 
and the creeping things and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And then consider verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear the Father God, we, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You for the things that we can learn from it. And Lord, I, I'm thankful that even early in Your book, You demonstrated Your outpouring of grace and that it was possible for mankind to find it. And Lord, I thank You for saving me. I thank You for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on my behalf, Lord. I thank You for all that You've done in that for me, Lord. And I know there's many grateful hearts here this morning for Your outpouring of Your love, Lord. That spring of grace that came forward that made it possible for us to be redeemed, to be justified to be born again, to be gloriously saved. Lord, I ask that You just speak to our hearts. Help me as I teach and preach, Lord. And I know, Lord, I'm not going to do it justice. I'm not going to do it adequately, Lord, from what Your great gift really is. Lord, I hope we can get some things from Your Word. And if there's somebody here this morning that has not, not, Receive that great gift of grace, Lord, that today would be the day that they would lay hold on that. And it is in Christ's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says this too. It says, In whom we have redemption through His blood. And we know who that is. Who do we have redemption through His blood? It is Jesus Christ. That is who we have redemption through his blood he was the perfect sacrifice but we also know he is god manifest in the flesh but the last part of this it says in whom we have redemption through his blood and then it says the forgiveness of sins what a wonderful thing and then there's another comma with some more words tying this verse together giving us one complete thought and it says that this was all done according to the riches of His grace. This was God, Jesus Christ, demonstrating to the world, demonstrating to each of us this spring that we spoke of that's even in definition of this, His love, that unmerited favor that came forward, this was all done according to the riches of His grace. I love the way the Bible gives words. Riches sound good. Men search riches. And I want to know that this gift of grace from God is not some shallow, hollow, empty, pathetic thing that God has given us. It is rich. We will never on this side of eternity, and I know I've said this before, but I'm a believer in this. And the older I get, and I know those years are climbing, and I'm going to start racing Brother Terry for that. And I I am. I'm going to give him a run for his money on that one. He's got great pedigree with his mom back there and her 90s still going. And and my family doesn't have that so much. So anyways, I I continue to be even more convinced that there is no way we'll fully understand the riches of His grace that's springing forth on this side of eternity. I, I mean... 
as as I age, things start to hurt. Imagine one day in glory waking up and everything that is about you one day is made perfect again beyond what man even knows what to be perfect is. I even think about this. We, we strive to get 20-20 vision. You go to the eye doctor, right? And they can do these surgeries and they can do these things. You realize there are still, uh, in our, our hearing, in our sight, there are colors or is this ranges of spectrum that even with 20-20 you miss? That in heaven, the description that we have seen, the wonder that is going to flood into that new creation that God is going to do that we'll be able to experience. Just that. I mean, that's the only way we're truly going to be able to get a, a, a basic understanding of the glory and beauty of God. I mean, Revelation chapter 1 is incredible. And I know I'm, I'm laboring my introduction. And I have a bad habit of doing that. So we'll have to go fast through everything else. But you look at Revelation 1 and look how it describes Jesus Christ. I mean, this body cannot grasp that glory and that beauty of Him. It gives us words to try and and get our mind to somewhat form some thought. But boy, to be there in person to see that, that's going to be something to behold. Those are just the beginning of the riches of His grace that we have. I, 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 am, I am thankful that His grace is rich. I, I'm glad that as some teach that it's not true because they'll say, well, God's grace is great, but it's only for some. No, His his grace is extreme riches, and it is available for all. I believe the Lord demonstrated that with the loaves and fishes. He took a little thing, but man, everybody was full, and there was baskets and baskets and baskets left over. You cannot exhaust the goodness of God, and you cannot exhaust the grace of God. And I, I'm a believer in that. Now, I want to... as we are going to go into some other things, and then we're going to come back to Genesis chapter 6. So I know we started there, and we we saw this, and I'm thankful in the beginning we see that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But I want us to look at some things, and I hope try to understand a little more about this. So just some thoughts. Some of it's just practical. Practical thoughts on grace. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I would say this teaching that we're inspired Scripture given to the church is a demonstration of how the Christian, and we're going to look at other ways as well, we are to extend grace. You know, the fact is that God, through Scripture, was slow to wrath. We're, we've been going in Sunday school, dot Sunday school, and now the kids have already gone through that. They're in Judges and looking at Samson. But we are where the children of Israel, as we're getting walked through this, they're now taking the land. They're now possessing the land. But you realize that land was there for 400 years with Israel down in Egypt. And there was an opportunity for those people, because even Romans 1 says that nature itself will tell us the truth about God. There was God's mercy 
and holding off for all those years. I know it's it may be a little different to, to consider, but you know, the Gibeonites in there, and I know we haven't gotten there yet, Brother James, but they were a people that at least said, hey, we're in trouble, tried to do something about it. And it wasn't, I don't know, all things work together for good. I understand all that. God's got His divine plan, all those things, and He knew what was going to take place. But somehow they deceived Israel and found some grace. Did they not? It's interesting. And you know, the permanence of that was that even hundreds of years ago when Saul moved against them, God judged him for doing that because of that covenant that was made. There's some aspects of it. That's not even in the message here. We need to go forward. But I just want us to see that God's slow to wrath. Now there is a truth that, I don't know if it's truth, but it's something that is said. It's not even anything like that. It's just a statement people make, right? Especially the lost world. And they argue, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? We, we know God created everything, right? He created the chicken. So that solves that mystery in a second when you read in Genesis, right? We understand that. But here is in a segue into a thought for us to consider a great question for us to ask ourselves even this morning is what came first, grace and forgiveness or repentance and pleading for forgiveness? It's an interesting thought. I mean, because humanly speaking, we tend to only extend grace when somebody seeks it. We're not looking for opportunity really to give grace. We're not often looking for opportunity to extend forgiveness. Right? That's human nature. But there's an aspect in Scripture that is interesting. Jesus Christ, it says, was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. I mean, the plan of God looking forward was always somehow to extend grace and opportunity for man to be with Him. It, it, to me, it's, a, it, it's an interesting thought. It's an interesting thing. Christ declared in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. He said, forgive them for they know what which they do. The Lord offered forgiveness. They, I don't see anywhere in those texts as they were crucifying the Lord, as they were saying these things about, I don't see anywhere where the people were saying anything about, oh, oh I'm sorry. I don't see it. But we see the Lord saying, forgive them. He was going to forgive continue his work his purpose his plan that lamb slain before the foundation of the world going forward going to complete what he had set his eyes on to complete was seeing it through so that grace through his divine sacrifice could be completed and availed to all mankind i think through scripture we see that Grace and forgiveness came first. I would say that we all don't receive it. Many don't. But it's still there. I want us to look at a, a, a thing here in Genesis chapter 33. If you don't mind. Turn to Genesis chapter 33. We're going to 
look at a few verses here that many are familiar with, a text, a passage you're familiar with, with Jacob and Esau. We know about uh, the thing with the lentils. We know about the birthright. All these various things regarding him. But there was a time in Jacob's life as he was going to return. And it says in verse 10, And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take I, take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. There's a, a little bit difference here between Esau and grace that's being given versus God. In his grace, I, I think it was right for uh, Jacob, don't you think, to look for some grace? Remember what great? Remember what he did? Jacob was a supplanter. He was a deceiver. He wasn't everybody's favorite brother, right? Because he was one of those guys, and everybody knows one of those guys that's always going to be on top of a deal. Whether or not you get hurt in the process, they don't really care. Jacob kind of had that personality. He had that kind of tendency. He was working the system to get what he needed. Uh, he even got mom involved. That's not a good thing to do, kids. I remember one time I did that. I deceived my mom, got her to buy off on the plan. And I'll tell you what, mom never got so mad in my life when I came home. Anyways... She had figured it out. It didn't matter that I had a concussion. It didn't matter that I need stitches. It didn't matter that I had two black eyes and my nose was broke. She was angry that I got her caught up in this deceptive plan. But mom was all in with Jacob. She was all in. I mean, so here's an interesting thing. Five times, and you see it once in 32, because Jacob is a a planner. I mean, he is looking at ways to make sure his path is secure. So in chapter 2, or 32, you see him where he's like, okay, I'm going to send some men to go talk to Esau and say, hey, we're coming. And we're going to do some things, and I want grace. Esau, I want grace. And those men came back and said, hey, he's coming back with 400 men. And Jacob's like, I'm in trouble. I'm dead in everything I got. Any." Rightly so. I mean, wow, he, he was a deceiver. So you, you follow the text through, and he does another plan. He's like, I, I got to get what I want. I got to get what I need. And he's, he does want grace. He knows what he deserves, but he's fighting for some grace. Five times it is mentioned with this thing with Esau with grace. Interesting, interesting thing. He was seeking it. He needed it. I know there are people that will say, well, hey, Jacob's actions were divine in a way because, you know, all things work together for good. Look, God could have worked out the whole 12 tribes and all that stuff without him manipulating the process. So, Christian, let's not us get deceived. We've got to do what's right. Right? Always what's right. And boy, when we don't, we do need to seek grace. 
And he was doing it. But here's the difference, I believe, just in studying, there's a difference in what true divine grace is versus what was demonstrated in theory by Esau. You saw in the text, what was Jacob doing? He was offering gifts to his brother. Was he not? And he kept encouraging him, take him, take him. I, I, I want this. I want it to show that I have, I've gotten grace in your eyes. He finally took it. You realize there's nothing we can give to the Lord? There's nothing. There, there is that, that, that completely blows away. It says, unmerited favor. He needed favor from Esau, but not by what he was trying to give. You know, it's interesting. You look at Esau, he's not spoken well of in the New Testament. He's not. There's nothing good. You look at the book of Obadiah. You realize Obadiah is the whole judgment on his descendants? On Esau's descendants. I I would say there was something that God could see in the heart of Esau that just probably wasn't right, even though when it says earlier in the text they met and that they wept and hugged each other, there was still something not right in the heart of Esau. And I say this is a warning to us as Christians as we learn some principles of things. We need to really, when we say we're going to forgive or extend grace, mean it. God knows our heart. We could have the heart of Esau. We could say, oh, I forgive you, brother. But when you walk out the door, right, yeah, so-and-so, and and, you know, he wants forgiveness and stuff. But, you know, I'm still not real happy about this. I've been wronged. You know, I lost out on this and this and this. That's not forgiveness. That's not grace. You realize God didn't do that with us? I'm glad. When he saved me, he said, yeah, as he's talking to uh, others in heaven, yeah, we... You know, we we gave grace to Max. Look at that. (sighs) Look at him down there. He still, he did a couple stupid things again. You know, I I just, (sighs) God doesn't do that. I know he loves us. I know he'll chasten us. I know we're not supposed to continue in things, but God's grace and his forgiveness is permanent. It tells us that as far as the east is from the west. When the accuser of the brethren is in heaven, and he might be up there, even with about Brother Mac there, saying, Hey, do you know Brother Mac? You, look what he was doing, Lord. Listen, that's my son. I see the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ that was applied because of grace from this outpouring spring because of my son, Jesus Christ. That's the truth. If we're going to have grace and we're to, we're to be Christ-like, are we not? So how much more should we at least, at least with the brothers and sisters in Christ, have grace and forgiveness truly like the Lord has extended? Or do we harbor it in our hearts? I, I believe, and it can be argued that there was just something that Esau still just did not totally forgive Jacob. There was still some bitterness. There were still some things, even though he embraced them, 
Just something wasn't right God saw in his heart. Let that not be the case for each and of, of us. I know it's not easy. It's not easy for us to extend grace. It's not within this flesh and this natural body to do so. It is something that only truly is a divine characteristic of God. But if God is in us and we are a new creature, then we should be able to exercise this a little bit in our lives with each other. And I know it takes a humble person to do. I know when you've been hurt and when you've been wronged. Our pride has been affected. What about God? What about His great gift that continues to be rejected by mankind? Yeah, He continues to send preachers. He continues to send missionaries. He continues to send those out to proclaim His goodness, His grace. Even in a time of Christmas, and I know we could argue, well, it's this, it's that, we shouldn't be doing this, we shouldn't be doing that, but you know what? There is at least a time once in a while in a store or somewhere else, you're going to hear a melody, you're going to hear a tune, or the actual words of even the song we sang, O come, all ye faithful. There's at least going to be some semblance of that somewhere where the truth of God is going to go forward and His grace, why He came as that babe in the manger was to go to the cross so that grace could be extended to all. I believe and I've tried to uh, remind myself and, and our family, Ephesians 4.32. You know Ephesians 4.32, you're familiar. I think it's a good verse we all should know, especially in a church we should know. Be kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath what? Forgiven you. I think it's a, a powerful passage of Scripture. I think it's one of those fundamentals, those foundations that you'll see in this aspect, in this, this uh, definition of grace that we need to understand and do. And that is what the Lord extended it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Christ came. Just thoughts, things that are demonstrated even to us as believers. John 1, 14, it says Christ came and was, it says, full of grace and truth. I think that's interesting. Full. Full of grace and truth. We, we say we like the truth. And when we're wrong, we like to make the truth known, don't we? When you've been wrong, when you're right, and you know you're right, and you're, you're just going to hammer that thought, I was right, I told you, this and that. And when you continue to say, I told you, I told you, I told you, oh, you got what you needed, you got what you deserved, I told you that was going to happen. Well, that's truth, but that has no grace. No grace. My wife and I, we've been trying to learn this, and apply this more even with our our adult children as they're growing because you know as we've come through time it's easy for us to see well we learned this this and that why can't they see that well our parents were telling us the same thing and the grandparent why can't they see that right and it's a point of saying hey we we love you and, and we're going to give you some things but we're going to have some grace in that 
as Christ was, full of grace and truth. One, one man said this about it. He said that truth, truth without grace is poison. I'll say this, you cannot have one without the other. I know as Baptists sometimes we get accused. Growing up, I was in an area of Mormons. The whole town, 90% plus Mormons. They knew, oh, you went to a Baptist church. And they'd say, oh, you're one of those gracers. Grace, grace. And they were mocking me. Just grace. Like, yeah, I guess I'm a gracer. I never thought about that. I always thought I was a Baptist. But they're like, no, you're a gracer. Well, okay, grace. The fact is, you, you cannot have grace without the truth. And you can't have truth without the grace. I, you can see it throughout Scripture. For the wages of sin is death. Is that not true? But did the Lord leave it off at that point? No. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You, you see the two joined together. You see the Lord Jesus Christ in His manifestation on earth as He came full of grace and truth. And I do think it's important because just as a warning, in modern times, there is a misappropriation of grace because we'll say, well, grace so I can do whatever I want to do. No, God suffered, bled, and died to make you holy, to make you perfect, so that we won't continue in sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, you get into those other verses, you cannot argue this principle. And I would say, sadly, as grace gets misappropriated because it is being spoken of as grace, but it's not speaking the truth with it. See, John chapter 1, verse 9, right? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have truth and we have grace. Important things for us to consider. It was said of the church in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 33. This, this ought to be what is said about Temple Baptist Church. It says of that early church, great Grace was upon them all. Great grace. Great grace. Oh, that we would have that great grace. I believe that if we had great grace, that if the truth of the salvation of the Word of God would have even greater impact in the world around us today. It would be more effective. Because it is grace that God shows. It was grace that He used. We study the Word of God. And again, our Bible students, our, our studiers, we, we are in the dispensation of what? Grace. I mean, we even apply this age and time to that. And so, as a church, that ought to be a characteristic of us. That ought to be a very defining thing, but it's got to have the truth of Jesus Christ. It's got to have that truth. You see through Romans, Corinthians, 1st and 2nd, Galatians, Ephesians, all say grace be unto you. This continuing manifestation, this giving that is given from God, spoken through the apostles that are supposed to be to the church, grace 
be unto you. That unmerited favor. So if grace is given to you, what should you be doing to it? Giving it to others. I, I honestly, I can't steal his illustration, but Brother James had the best illustration of this this morning in Sunday school. When he was describing his interaction with the gentleman that was new and young in the Lord, and as he was holding back, he had truth. He knew where was wrong in this gentleman's life or his thinking and his theology, but he had grace and let God do that perfect work. And he extended that and how that man came around to full truth. But it was grace that helped pave that way to that. You know, you can take that bat of truth and beat people over the head and you're not going to be effective. They're not going to come to Christ. Let us be careful in how we use truth. It says in James chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, God resisteth the proud. We can get lifted up in our heart. Our pride in the things we're pride. Pride and proud in being right. But it says that He only giveth grace unto the humble. You want that grace to be unto you? You want the Jesus Christ that came that was full of grace and truth? You want that in your life? You want that extended to you by God through your life, through things? Through things that we mess up? We ought to check our pride. We see in the Old Testament there was a spirit of grace in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Galatians 6.18 says, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You see this continually through Scripture. Again, this should be a very defining characteristic in each of us that are saved. Grace. It saved us. And then it should be a very fundamental part of our faith, our walk, our life. Our speech, our conversation, as the Scripture says, it should be a very vibrant part of that continually. Paul even teaches that we could frustrate the grace of God in other believers' lives. How? By talking about grace, but never demonstrating it. And we all know that it is very ineffective when we're hypocrites in the things we do. We have learned, I'm sure, everyone that has raised kids that we are very ineffective when we do things and then tell our kids not to. Right? What did you ever see? What did your kids do? They ended up doing it. Right? I know I did. Like, well, I know Dad says not to do it, but you know, there he is. I would do it. Ought to be sobering to us. That thought, that thinking, we can frustrate the grace of God and other believers because of this. I want us to see, here's an example, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. Here's an example of the Spirit of grace. It says, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth. And he goes as far as to say this, Lest I make my brother to offend. 
So he will do that as long as the world, as long as he is in this life and his brother is there, if it's going to hurt him and it's going to offend him, he will not do it. That's not the way we are today. That's not the way we are in church often. Look, it's, sometimes it's a balance for the pastor to do things. I've been finding it. I'm going to let my hair down just a little bit. I really, I've been given the task, and now you all might get mad, of ensuring the temperature is right in here. And I'm going to tell you, that is a, I wish somebody else would take that on. I'm telling you, it is a very daunting and difficult thing. I know there's some that are chilled and some that are hot. And I'm like, I can't cool and I can't heat at the same time. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. But I, I, can, I can see Ardith over there and she will tug on my heart. And I'm like, okay, Grace, turn it up. And then someone will tell her, I'll see him with the fan. And I mean, they're letting that fly. Brother Mac, he's over there doing it right now. He's hot understandably so i'm saying it's difficult it is anyways i let that out there it is and i even forgot where i was going with it but it was good oh having that spirit of grace with each other and with me as i try to do that right and that spirit of grace with each other is those knowing i'm willing to be hot as long as Sister Arlette can be comfortable. Right? That's a great illustration. I think it's good. I hope the pastor approves of that and everything else. I understand that. Now, I tend to get hot. I do. I'm a little warm right now. Wanting to rip off the jacket, but it wouldn't be a pretty sight, so I won't. But that is what we need to be with each other. I did appreciate at homecoming. I, I believe there was uh, some examples of that, even with everybody and making changes. And, and, and the church was so gracious in what we had to do just so we could sit inside. That, that's having a spirit of grace. We can't accommodate everything. We can't make every situation perfect for each other. I'm telling you, you have a pastor that really does try to do that. I've been in enough meetings and enough things with him, and Christina can vouch for the same thing. Our pastor is very sensitive to try and be as accommodating as he can to each and every need. That's why so bad he wanted that homecoming upstairs. I mean, as we kept talking about it and talking about it, and as we were like, well, we're going to have to go down, and uh, some people are going to have to be up, and he was like, he just like, what are we going to do? And that's why we did what we did. And I just appreciate the spirit of grace that each other had about that. Even though it wasn't perfect, it wasn't ideal, I'm just saying nothing ever is. Life isn't. And a body of believers gathered together serving Christ. I am thankful for the spirit of grace that we had with the men working out front. I'm thankful that so far there's been a spirit of grace for those that have looked at it and said, hey, it's okay, or I really like it, and I haven't heard anything yet about it not being, 
And I know that if you do feel that way, you're exercising that spirit of grace and saying, I'm not going to discourage them. I'm going to keep that to myself. God bless you and that spirit of grace. And you know, that is what Paul's even saying and trying to teach and demonstrating and how we ought to be as a church. It says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, let your speech, everything we say in the church, in our home, with our wife, with our children, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you know how you ought to answer every man. I know we got truth, but boy, it needs to have grace in our speech, in our homes. There is some thought, sadly, among some, that that is, a, that is a sign of weakness. Well, then you'd have to say our Savior was weak. But I'll say there wasn't a man like the Lord Jesus Christ. There wasn't a man like Him. And if He was full of grace, then we ought to strive to have that spirit of grace and be full of grace as our Savior was. So now we get back to the conclusion here. Genesis chapter 6. We go back to where we started. I promise we won't go back through everything again. You're saying, Pastor, you started there. Now you say you're ending there? Yes, we will. Genesis chapter 6. Again, verse 8, it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And in verse 9, it says, these are the generations of Noah. So now it's giving us some history there. And it says this about him. Noah was a just man and perfect in the generations, and Noah walked with God. There is something decidedly different about Noah versus the other people of that day. Was Noah perfect in the sense that he was sinless? No, there has not been a sinless man since Jesus Christ. And the only one before him for a very short period of time was Adam. Then he sinned. So he still has the definition of being a sinner. That's what we know about Romans, right? For as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. But studying even in the time of the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, we know that He was of the Father, right? Not of Joseph. Sinless. Perfect is our Savior. But Noah wasn't. I mean, I know what it's saying about this, but he, he did have a heart. And, and you know, here's a, here's a thing that should be exciting to us. If you're saved and born again, Grace has been extended to you. You realize that this could read about you today? I, I, this, I'm not trying to throw out some crazy wild doctrine. Look, if we're born again of incorruptible seed, if we are the sons of God, and if what Jesus or the Lord sees when He sees us is His Son, Jesus Christ, then He's looking at us as perfect. Just in the sense that he saw Noah. He was seeing Noah through that lens of grace. Just as he sees each and every one of us. 
Doesn't that excite you? I know this flesh, and even Paul speaks about this flesh, that he said, I, I, I need to die daily, right? There, there are things that we know in our spirit and our heart that we should do, and our flesh goes against us in times that we give in. But as that accuser of the brethren again, the Lord's looking saying, that's my son. That's my daughter. They've been bought. They've been cleansed. They've been washed with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's looking down now, seeing us through that lens of grace. But there is a whole lot of people here in this time, in this day, that the only ones God could see was Noah and his family. And many will say, well, that's just not fair. That's just not fair. Well, you realize that Noah preached for over a hundred years the truth of God? Uh, God was not, not known to them because it says that Noah walked with God. He was a testimony. He was preaching. He was teaching about the truth of God. There was a complete and, and continuing illustration for them to see. Noah, what are you doing? Building an ark. An ark? Why are you doing that? God's judgment's coming. We've sinned. We've grieved God. God's displeased. He has to bring judgment. He's warning us. He's showing us. Over a hundred years. You say, well, that's not true. Well, Titus chapter 11 says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So, I don't want to call God a liar. That means He said, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That same grace that Noah found was available to those generations of that day that are watching that ark be built. But they didn't find it like Noah did. Consider this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Why is it that difficult? I don't know how it could have been. Have any of you been to Kentucky and seen the ark? Isn't that an amazing thing? What could you possibly miss? When they said, hey, it's the big thing out in the field. Could you miss that? No, you, you can't miss it. There was, it wasn't that it was hard to find. It's just they didn't want to find it. They just didn't want the truth of God. They wanted to continue in the way they were living. They wanted to continue in their sins. The Scripture says that men love darkness rather than light. They loved their sin. It wasn't that God wasn't extending His grace and His mercy to them. We understand that there was no way that Noah at his best could ever measure up to the righteousness of God. But thankfully, the Lord looks down on a heart that's looking for Him. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Out of that spring of grace extending out to all who will receive it. I am thankful now that it has been a lot of years. 1978 is when I got grace. It's when I found it. 1978. It's been a few years ago for me. I don't I don't regret it one bit. I'm sure there wasn't a day on that boat as that rain's coming down that Noah regretted finding God's grace. We know and understand in Scripture he's now in heaven with God and I'd say everyone that has gone for before us that is now in heaven does not regret that they found grace. Noah was looking for grace and he found it. My question this morning as we close in prayer is, are you and have you found it?